Get this full audiobook for free by clicking now the link in the description. It's brought to you by The Book Guide. On her last night as a warm blood, Phoebe Taylor had been a good daughter. Freya had insisted upon it. Let's not make a fuss, Phoebe had protested, as though she was just going on holiday for a few days, hoping to get away with a casual farewell at the hotel where her family was staying. Absolutely not, Freya said, looking down her long nose. De Claremonts do not skulk around, unless they are Matthew, of course. We shall do this properly, over dinner. It is your duty. The evening party Freya put on for the Taylors was simple, elegant, and perfect. Right down to the weather, a flawless example of May. The music, could every vampire in Paris play the cello? The flowers, enough Madame Hardy roses had been brought in from the garden to perfume the entire city. And the wine. Freya was fond of Cristal. Phoebe's father, mother, and sister showed up at half past eight as requested. Her father was in black tie. Her mother wore a turquoise and gold langacholi. Stella was in head-to-toe Chanel. Phoebe wore unrelieved black with the emerald earrings Marcus had given her before he left Paris along with a pair of sky-high heels of which she, and Marcus, was particularly fond. The assembled group of warm bloods and vampire first had drinks in the garden behind Freya's sumptuous house in the 8th arrondissement, a private Eden the likes of which had not been carved out of space-starved Paris for over a century. The Taylor family was accustomed to palatial surroundings. Phoebe's father was a career diplomat, and her mother came from the kind of Indian family that had married into the British civil service since the days of the Raj. But de Clermont privilege was on an entirely different scale. They sat down to dinner at a table set with crystal and china, in a room with tall windows that let in the summer light and overlooked the garden. Charles, the laconic chef whom the de Clermonts employed in their Parisian homes when warm bloods were invited to dine, was fond of Phoebe and had spared no effort or expense. Raw oysters are a sign that God loves vampires and wants them to be happy, Freya announced, raising her glass at the beginning of the meal. She was, Phoebe noticed, using the word vampire as liberally as possible, as though sheer repetition might normalize what Phoebe was about to do. To Phoebe, happiness and long life. Following that toast, her family had little appetite. Aware that this was her last proper meal, Phoebe nevertheless found it difficult to swallow. She forced down the oysters and the champagne that accompanied it, and picked at the rest of the feast. Freya kept up a lively conversation through the hors d'oeuvres, the soup, the fish, the duck, and the sweets. Your last chance, Phoebe, darling. Switching from French to English to Hindi between sips of wine. No, Edward, I don't believe there is any place I haven't been. Do you know, I think my father might have been the original diplomat. Frey used this startling announcement to draw out Phoebe's circumspect father about his early days in the Queen's service. Whether or not Freya's historical judgment was accurate, Philippe de Clermont had clearly taught his daughter a thing or two about smoothing over conversational rough edges. Richard Mayhew, you say? I believe I knew him. Françoise, didn't I know a Richard Mayhew when we were in India? 
The sharp-eyed servant had mysteriously appeared the moment her mistress required her, tuned in to some vampiric frequency inaudible to mere mortals. Probably. Françoise was a woman of few words, but each one conveyed layers of meaning. Yes, I think I did know him. Tall, sandy-haired, good-looking in a sort of schoolboy way. Freya was undeterred by Françoise's dour remark, or by the fact that she was describing roughly half the British diplomatic corps. Phoebe had yet to discover anything that could put a dent in Freya's cheerful resolve. Goodbye for now, Freya said breezily at the end of the evening, kissing each of the tailors in farewell. A press of cool lips on one cheek, then the other. Padma, you are always welcome. Let me know when you will be in Paris next. Stella, do stay here during the winter shows. It is so convenient to the fashion houses. And Françoise and Charles will take very good care of you. The George V is excellent, of course, but so popular with tourists. Edward, I will be in touch. Her mother had been characteristically dry-eyed and stoic, though she held Phoebe a bit more tightly than usual in farewell. You are doing the right thing. Padma Taylor whispered into her daughter's ear before releasing her. She understood what it meant to love someone enough to give up your whole life in exchange for a promise of what it could become. Make sure that prenup is as generous as they claim, Stella murmured to Phoebe as she crossed the threshold. Just in case, this house is worth a fucking fortune. Stella could view Phoebe's decision only through her own frame of reference, which was entirely concerned with glamour, style, and the distinctive cut of Freya's vintage red gown. This! Freya had laughed when Stella admired it, posing for a moment, and tilting her flaxen topknot to one side to show the gown and her figure to greater advantage. Balenciaga! Had it for ages! Now there was a man who understood how to construct a bodice! It was her normally reserved father who had struggled with the farewell, eyes filled with tears, searching hers. So like his, Freya had noticed earlier in the evening, for signs that her resolution might be wavering. Once her mother and Stella were outside the gates, her father pulled Phoebe away from the front steps where Freya waited. It won't be long, Dad, Phoebe said, trying to reassure him. But they both knew that months would pass before she would be allowed to see her family again, for their safety as well as for her own.